as he passed away. His last words show us how steadfast his faith was. And I want to look at that this morning uh, as we look at, uh, we'll look at the passage in Genesis 50, try to unpack a few things about Joseph's life. I think if you'll listen this morning, actually I promise you it'll be a help, not because of anything I've got to say, but we're going to be working out of a book here that'll be a help to you every time you read it. Amen? And so let's do that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 22. The Bible says, By faith, Joseph... When he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. This morning I want to preach to you for a few minutes on Joseph and his bones. Joseph and his bones. Father, I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word and, and the rest of scripture will also read that you would uh, just help us to see some things that we can tie to our everyday life. And We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Joseph's faith persevered through his whole life. Despite the unpredictable life that Joseph lived, he still had faith right up to the end of his life. We remember the evil treatment of his brothers and how they sold him into slavery. Uh, how he went to be sold in a strange land as a slave and then he was falsely accused. He was imprisoned for a number of years. And all these things did not destroy his faith. And then after the horrible time that he had uh, with, uh, with enslavement and, and false accusation and imprisonment, after all that, he was promoted to the second most powerful person in the basically known world of that time. Now, it's interesting that uh, none of those things took his faith away. The most dangerous one of those probably would not be his adversity, but his prosperity. You can tell much about a man in how he handles adversity. You can tell a lot more about that same man in how he handles prosperity. Because prosperity often is what takes people away from their faith. Evil was around Joseph continually, uh, yet he steadfastly clung to his faith. True faith does not make people weak. It makes weak people strong. And uh, so true faith can survive the worst of times. And how this might would encourage, remember, he's writing to people here in the Hebrews, he's writing to them in a time of persecution and a, a very difficult time of their life. So how this would encourage them, how it encourages us. We have no excuse uh, to turn our back to God in any circumstances. We need to continue forward. It amazes me that Joseph had such great faith. He had the very few of the spiritual privileges that we have today. Joseph did not have a Bible. He had the promises of God that came down through his father and his grandfather, but he didn't have a Bible, and yet he was faithful. He believed God. Remember, as I say every week as we go through this series of, of the Hebrew heroes, that uh, faith defined, as we are defining it in this series, is a belief-inspired obedience. So he obeyed uh, because he believed, and he believed God. You could say that Joseph walked in a time of very little light, and yet he had great faith. We, sadly, today, even though we live in a world of much light, we have a, the Bible available to us. Uh, you can go to Walmart and buy a Bible. You can download about 15 different Bible apps that give the Bible on your phone. They'll only, not only can you read it, but they'll read it to you in any language you want to hear it. We've got the Bible available to us today, and yet so many lack in faith. It's not how much of the Bible that, ha that you have 
that determines the size of your faith, but how much of the Bible that you believe and how much you obey. Amen? That's what faith is. Joseph believed all the word of God that he knew, and he had great faith. By faith, the Bible tells us here in our passage, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel. Joseph was not a secret disciple. Not like another Joseph we find in the Bible, Joseph of Arimathea, the Bible tells us in John 19, uh, he was a secret disciple, but he did not conceal his faith, this Joseph didn't. He was not ashamed to speak openly about what he believed and about his faith in Christ and believing in the Lord. He spoke about it in his papa's house. He spoke about it in Potiphar's house. He spoke about it in the prison house, and he spoke about it in the palace. Wherever Joseph went, he let people know what he believed concerning the Lord. He spoke about his faith when he was mocked for it. He spoke about his faith when he was jailed for it. He spoke about his faith when he was forgotten for it, and he spoke about it when he was promoted for it. He spoke about his faith in the good times and the bad times. Here at the end of his life, he is still talking about how God has been faithful to him and showing that he is still faithful to God. Faith ought to be declared. It ought to be given to others. It ought to be passed down to generations below us. It is a popular thing today to basically call religion or what we believe in the Bible, uh, call that a personal matter and not discuss it. In fact, a few years ago, there was a president, the elder President Bush, uh, in the 90s. Uh, he, he was asked numerous times about his faith or what he believed, and he would always say that is a personal matter. Well, I don't believe that faith ought to be a personal matter. Uh, that is really, uh, it reveals a lack thereof, in my opinion. If your child is an honor student, you will broadcast that to the world. You'll throw a bumper sticker on your car. No one in the world except you cares about that bumper sticker, but that's what you do because you want to broadcast it. Uh, my child is an honor student. If you lose 25 pounds, you'll be ready to be a coach to anyone who asks you how that is done. If you get a good deal on a car, you'll want to tell everyone you meet. Uh, if good things happen, you're ready to share it. If the Vikings win the Super Bowl, we're actually going to stay in reality here today um, in church. Faith that is not professed is faith that is not possessed. We ought to tell people about what we believe. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, the Bible says in Mark 16, 15. We're to share what we believe. And Joseph did that. Faith is made uh, is, is to be no, made known, not to be concealed. Those who want to keep their faith a private matter. They ought to remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10 when he said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before him, before men, him also will I deny before my Father. It's a serious issue, isn't it? Uh, to realize that he might deny us if we deny him. We're to live in such a way that everyone who knows us will know what we stand for, will know that we're a Christian, that we're a child of God, and that we're living uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 50, uh, this is where Joseph's story is found, the story of his death. It's told in five short verses. And with that, the book of Genesis ends. Joseph's death was a very significant one. Let's read, if you would, if you've got Genesis chapter 50, verse number 22. 
And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he in his father's house, and Joseph lived in hundred and ten years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land which he sware to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being an hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he, is, he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, the Holy Spirit in Hebrews 11, this is an amazing thing to me, jumps over a lot of Joseph's life to tell us that uh, Joseph basically gave, gave a promise concerning and asked them to take his bones. We, it passes over so much of what we would consider a great achievement. Joseph and his truthfulness while he was at home. Uh, Joseph, when he was sold as a slave and, and he still remained faithful to God. We might think of Joseph in Potiphar's house as his wife was made advances toward him and Joseph re retained his integrity and his, his purity. Would not violate the commandment of God. We think of Joseph in prison. Uh, he had such a good attitude while he was in prison that he was promoted uh, to the top that the prisoners could be promoted to. And uh, we think of his, his uh, uh, giving of the dreams to the baker and the butler and, and uh, translating what they meant. We think of when he actually did that for Pharaoh himself. We think of his meteoric rose uh, when he rose to power. All in one day, he woke up in the morning as a prisoner, and he went to bed that night in the lap of luxury as the second in command. We could say a lot of things about Joseph. But yet the Bible, in Hebrews 11, uh, focuses on simply one thing, that he had faith concerning the promises to come. The Bible looks at none of this. Now, faith uh, might seem like it is obscure, but it is never obscure if you have it. We need to believe God and act on that belief. I want to look at a couple of things here in this passage out of Genesis, and uh, then we'll go to lunch. It's always a dangerous thing when a man preaches before lunch because people tend to think about other things. But you pay attention to this, and uh, we'll move along quickly, okay? Uh, I'm a very good uh, at fast talking. My dad was a preacher. My mom was a woman, so I can talk very fast, and it just comes natural to me. All right, Joseph's dwelling is where we start out this morning. In chapter 50, verse 22, So Joseph dwelt in Egypt and his father's house, and Joseph lived in 110 years. He was 56 years old when uh, Jacob, his father, died, and he has lived in the lap of all this luxury and this splendor for the last 54 years. If you study the history of Egypt, you know that these high dignitaries in the palace, uh, they would have the habit of, building fancy tombs for themselves. You've heard of the pyramids of Egypt, right? That's what the pyramids are. They're just really fancy tombs that the pharaohs built for themselves. In fact, uh, the pyramids' angled sides uh, symbolize the rays of the sun uh, that supposedly would take the king uh, faster to heaven when he died so that he could be with his god, uh, the sun god Ra. I, I imagine that Joseph's contemporaries, when he was in the palace, as they were growing older, were starting to build on their tombs. And I wonder if they didn't come to Joseph once in a while and say, Joseph, listen, you're not going to live forever. You probably ought to think about starting to build your tomb. But Joseph had a different set of values. He had success. He had influence. He had power. He had all those things. 
and he had everything the world had to offer, yet he never forget the true values of, of life and death. And those values did not include a fancy tomb in Egypt. His heart's affections were in the promised land, not in Egypt. Oh, if we could only have the same lofty priorities. Our priorities in life, our heart, should be in, the, in our promised land of heaven. The Bible tells us to lay up treasures in heaven, not to lay it up on earth where rust and thieves and all those things can destroy it. Uh, how much more pleasing to God would our lives be if we valued the eternity, uh, eternal above the temporary? Oh, if we could get our eyes on eternal things. Eternity to the godly is a day with no sunset. Eternity to the wicked is a night with no sunrise. Listen, friend, if you're saved here today, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're on your way to heaven. Can I tell you that you are uh, facing an eternity uh, that is worth so much more than anything that you could have here on earth? Don't live for the temporary. Don't sacrifice laying up treasures in heaven for trying to lay up treasures here on earth. 2 Corinthians 4.18 the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The only thing, listen to this statement, the only thing worth holding on to is that which death cannot tear out of your hand. And, and everything you get here on earth, death will tear out of your hand. One person, a wealthy person died and someone at the funeral said, how much did he leave? The answer was everything. He left everything. You'll leave everything when you pass on, uh, but you can lay up treasures in heaven by having faith and living uh, for the Lord. David Livingston, one of the greatest Christian missionaries of all time. He was odd, well, it is a little odd because he wasn't odd, but it is a little odd that he really only had one convert in his life personally. He wasn't a great preacher. He wasn't the greatest leader. In fact, he was incapable of organizing large-scale projects. Livingston lacked the gifts that we might say would be necessary to make a good missionary. But the man absolutely would not quit. He was mauled by a lion and almost killed. His wife died of malaria. He became half-blind, and actually there's a whole list of, of unfortunate things that happened to him. But he wouldn't quit. He says, I am, I love this statement. I'm making this my own. I am prepared to go anywhere provided it is forward. Amen? What an attitude. I'm prepared to go anywhere provided it is forward. A missionary society wrote to him and said, and asked him, do you, have you found a good road to where you are at? If so, we want to send other men to join you. Livingston wrote back, if you have men that will only come if we have a good road, I don't want them. I want men that will come if there is no road and will blaze their own. Livingston disappeared into the interior of Africa. He lost contact from the outside world for over six years. He said this, if we, want, if we wait until we run no risk, the gospel will never be introduced into the interior. His body now live, uh, resides in Westminster Abbey, but not his heart. Before they shipped his body back home, the natives that he was ministering to cut out his heart and they buried it in Africa. This is what they said. You may have his body, but his heart belongs here in Africa. Let me ask you a question today, friend. If your heart were buried in the place that you loved most during this life, where would that be buried? 
Would it be buried in your pocketbook at the office? Where would your heart be buried if uh, you were to bury it at the place that you held most dearly? Where is your heart today? No wonder God could trust Joseph with wealth and power. His heart was not on the things of this world. It was on things to come. Uh, it is, after all, not, not money that is the root of all evil. It is the love of money that's the root of all evil. And sometimes we think that somebody that has a lot of money, the danger is there. Hey, a guy with nothing can love money just as much as a guy with something. Amen? It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And so let us not get caught up on things of this world which are temporary. Secondly, we see Joseph's descendants. Verse number 23. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation and the children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up on Joseph's knees. Imagine Joseph as a grandfather. That humanizes him a little bit, doesn't it? It says they were sitting on his knees. Uh, grandfathers are wonderful, aren't they? Being a grandfather is wonderful. Love it. So something I'd have done first if I'd have known how wonderful it is instead of fatherhood, amen? One grandpa was talking to his grandson. He said, when I was growing up, my mama could give me a dollar, and I'd go down to the store, I'd get two loaves of bread, a gallon of milk, a carton of eggs, and a pound of bologna. His grandson said, wow. He says, Grandpa, you can't do that anymore. There's way too many security cameras in those stores today. <laughs> Joseph would have told the stories of growing up. He would have told the little ones uh, those exciting things that God had done in his family. That's what grandfathers do. He would have pulled treats out of his pockets. That's what grandfathers do. He would have spoiled their suppers. I love to see that verse that just shows him as a grandfather. He would have told them the stories about uh, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and the flood, the Tower of Babel, Abraham leaving his home headed for the promised land. He would have told them about the offering up at <clears throat> Mount Moriah. He would have filled their young hearts with the exciting stories that later are written down by Moses in a book that we call the Bible. Can I encourage you today, if you're a grandpa or grandma in here today, uh, use your influence on your grandchildren to teach them the things of the Bible. What a great, great thing you can leave with them. That's why I believe God invented grandfathers to form a link between the past that they've been a part of and, between, and from the future that is still to come. Uh, be that positive influence for them. We also see Joseph's discernment. He's 110 years old. He realizes his time has come to die, so he summons his brethren, the Bible says, to his mansion here on the Nile. Verse 24, Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land which he swore unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He says, I die, or essentially he's saying, I'm dying. Now, the words of the dying have always been considered important. Here we have the words of a dying man. The sun is setting behind him, uh, and what's setting behind him is the mercy of God. What is uh, coming up before him is the glory of God. I die, he says. I'm about to leave the wilderness for the promised land. I'm leaving the strange country for my sweet home. I die. I'm soon going to draw my last breath here on this earth. The next breath I draw will be in my celestial home. I will be with my Lord. I die, he said. I will bid farewell to my doubts, my fears, my sorrows, and I will enter into peace and safety. 
I die. He said, hey, praise God that death has lost its sting for the believer. Amen? Praise God that a godly man uh, and a godly lady, and when they die in Christ, that it is not uh, it is not all doom and gloom. That's how the Bible can say in Psalm 116, 15, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Just as the grave could not hold Jesus, the grave will not hold you, my friend. If you're in Christ, you'll raise again. We've already had victory over death through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said to live is, uh, or, or to live is Christ and to die is gain. Anything ever thought about that verse? How could dying be gain? Well, it can be gain if you look at what we trade in and what we get back. Man, we can trade in our house for a mansion, the Bible says. We, our bodies... Your decrepit, hurting, pain-filled body, pot belly and all, will be traded in for a, a, a brand new one. Amen? What a blessing that is. Best of all, we'll not live with sin any longer. That's what I'm looking forward to. That day I don't have to deal with temptation. That day that I can serve my Lord Jesus Christ with nothing, uh, that, that, that monkey of sin clinging on my back will be gone. What a blessing that is. I die, he said. The approach of death should not diminish our faith. It should enhance it. And so it did for Joseph. Then we see Joseph's demand, verse number 25. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from up hence. From hence. It was his last command. By the way, this is a man that's used to being obeyed. He spent 80 years issuing commands, seeing that they are instantly and promptly obeyed. He had something to leave his brethren. You could call this Joseph's last will and testament. I can imagine that his brethren, as were gathered around him, would be leaning in, eagerly waiting to catch every word. Think about uh, how they must have been anticipating here, gathering around him as he told them, Hey, I need to talk to everybody. I'm about to die, and I'm leaving you all something. This is the second most powerful man in all the land. Would he leave them great wealth? Would he promote them to positions of great power? Would he give them lands and houses? What he left them was not a mansion on the Nile. It wasn't a king's ransom or jewels. He left them his bones. That's a disappointing will reading to go to, isn't it? He left them his bones. It was worthless to the Egyptians, but it was valuable to the Israelites. Moses knew the value of those bones. You remember later when they're exiting uh, after the ten plagues and the Israelites finally go, 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 take everything with you. And, and all the Israelites went and, and uh, got all their gold and their silver. And they went. And so the Israelites were carrying all their uh, the values and the treasures of Egypt with them. You know what Moses was carrying? The Bible says in Exodus 13, 19 that Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. He knew the value of those bones. See, Joseph had left uh, basically a, a message for Israel here. His bones pointed to the fact that God kept his word. Uh, Joseph had enough faith to say, don't put me in the ground. You keep my bones because one day God's going to pull you out of here. One day God's going to deliver you. And when he does, not if, but when he does, I want you to take my bones with you and I, bear, I want you to bury me in the promised land. That is faith in what God says. Look at Joseph's decease here, uh, number 26, verse 26. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin 
in Egypt. But praise God, he didn't stay there. Uh, Moses carried his bones across the sands of Sinai. Uh, Joshua carried them on into Canaan. In Joshua 24, verse 32, And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem. Joseph could have spent a fortune and half a lifetime building himself a fancy tomb in Egypt. But Joseph knew better than that. He wanted a burial in Canaan. He had uh, been able to, uh, ha- I just wonder if, if we would be there, if, if we, you and I could have maybe just witnessed this burial day. I mean, here's a guy that died hundreds of years before, and now they're having a burial service for him, uh, lowering his bones uh, to rest in Shechem. Maybe we might have heard a little bit of a chuckle from that box of bones, the hip bone connected to the backbone, connected to the neck bone, connected to the head bone. All of them were saying one thing, God will surely visit you. That's what the message was from Joseph's bones. God will visit you. Because of that, you keep me and bury me in the promised land. His bones reminded Israel that God has brought you out of Egypt into this land. And one day God will come again, visit you again, and carry you to his land. Amen. What a blessing that is. Oh, friend, listen, the message is the same for us as well today. One day he will return. It could be today, it could be tonight, could be tomorrow. We don't know when, but he could return at any time and take us home uh, to glory with him. He will be coming back. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready? We saw Joseph's dwelling. We saw his descendants, his discernment, his demand, and his decease. Now we'll look finally at Joseph's discharge. (coughs) After the death of Joseph... The brothers, uh, I'm sorry, after the death of Jacob, Joseph's father, his brothers were very worried, understandably so. Remember, they had sold him into slavery. They had told the father that he was dead. For 20 years, Joseph's father thought that that, that Joseph was gone. He was uh, out of his life. And so they, they looked back with guilt on their past, these brothers did. Their past affected their present. But Joseph looked back at the past differently. Oh, don't miss this, friend. This is so important. The injustice that falls on your life, it will either make you better or it will make you bitter. And Joseph did not get bitter. Joseph got better. What will you do with the injustices that come into your life? Joseph had two sons after he was promoted to his high position. The second son he named Ephraim. The word Ephraim and the name Ephraim means fruitful or it means I want to be fruitful is what Joseph was saying when he had Ephraim. And that was Joseph's desire. He wanted to be fruitful for God. He wanted to do something for the Lord. But before Joseph had an Ephraim, Joseph had another son. He named that son Manasseh. The name Manasseh means to forget. Because Joseph knew that there had to come a point in his life, if I'm going to be fruitful in my life going forward, then there's some things I need to forget about my life behind me. And so he had... Two sons, his two sons uh, give us a very clear understanding of Joseph's thinking. Uh, he says, I will forget those things. In fact, he says in Genesis 41, 51, he called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for God said he hath made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. He chose not to remember all the horrible things done to him. Listen, my friend, today, if you are going to be fruitful in your life, if you're going to go forward and if you're going to do great things for God and for yourself, you better forget a few things that are in your past. You hang on to them. You get bitter about them. You cling to those things. 
and they can ruin your life. Oh, but his brothers didn't forget. They hadn't forgotten how they hated him. They hadn't forgotten how they sold him as a slave. They remember, and now they're afraid since their dad died that Joseph would seek revenge on him. But Joseph had forgiven them a long time ago. In fact, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says, But as for you, this is him talking to his brothers, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. He reminds his brothers that he is not in place of God. That's a good thing for all of us to remember. That we are not God. We don't exact revenge. We don't exact anger on others. I think Joseph's ability to release his past and forgive was directly connected to the knowledge of the sovereignty of God. And by that I mean that Joseph knew God could handle it. Lord, you take care. <laughs> you take care of my... You, the revenge business should be God's, not ours. Amen? We start going down the path of revenge and we're going to end up... Uh, very bitter people. God is in control. And now Joseph could look back and say, hey, because that happened, this happened, and because this happened, that happened, and because of that, he connected all of God's moves to the point of where he is today. And he says, yeah, you meant it for evil, that's right, but God meant it for good. Uh, in life, there are times when we are hurt by the words and actions of others. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. Somebody's going to hurt you. The Bible says in Luke chapter 17, verse 1, Then said unto his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Look, you're not going to live a life without offenses. Jesus himself said that. We're going to be hurt. Sometimes that hurt goes very deep. We cannot help what others do to us, but we can help how we react. When we're faced with hateful words and the harsh deeds of others, we have a choice. We can go down two courses of action here. We can be angry. We can hold a grudge. We can seek revenge. Boy, Joseph could have done that. Can you imagine? He's in prison for years because of a false accusation of Potiphar's wife. Then he gets promoted to the second in command. Potiphar is uh, Pharaoh's chief bodyguard, essentially. It is impossible that Joseph and Potiphar and Potiphar's wife would not run into each other during his time as a leader there in Egypt. What was Mrs. Potiphar's, how did she feel the first time she's walking down the hall and King Joseph is walking towards her? <laughs> Imagine that. You ever thought about that? Whoo, bet she was scared. Joseph could have had her wiped out just like that. He could have wiped out all his enemies just like that. He was a he was only under Pharaoh, was the only one above him. He could have done anything he wanted, but he didn't. He chose to forgive. The Bible says in Romans 12, 17, recompense no man evil for evil. We can be angry, hold a grudge, or we can forgive and leave the matter in God's hands. Oh, I can't tell you how freeing that is. Just put it in God's hands. Somebody wrongs you, put it in the Lord's hands and let him take handle it. Uh, take care of it and handle it. How could Joseph get over it? The pain went deep. Listen, is, we're not talking about something simple here. His brothers sold him into slavery. That's pretty deep. There's some serious pain here. Uh, then they tell his dad that he is dead. How could he release that past? The answer is found in the verse I just read. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. He was able to move beyond the evil that was done to him because he recognized that God had a much bigger plan in place. 
Can I tell you today that God's plan's a whole lot bigger than yours? <laughs> we, we have our, I have them too. I mean, I, I think wise people do have uh, set some type of goals and plans. I have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, and, and, uh, and that's about as far ahead as I go after that. That gets a little fuzzy. Uh, but we plan, don't we, about things coming forward, uh, coming into our lives? But God has a bigger plan. You can see in this verse that Joseph changes the focus. He says, you, talking to his brothers, you meant it evil to me. Horizontally, it was evil. Vertically, though, it was good. God meant it for good. So you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Listen, if you put more focus on this than you do this, your life would go a whole lot better as a Christian. Realize that God's in control. Don't get bent out of shape with horizontal uh, relationships, keep them vertical. Because here's what we do. We hear God's plan. We see something in the Word of God. We feel God leading a certain way, and then we assess God's plan for our lives and see if it fits into our schedule. See if it fits into our plan, into our purpose. Joseph was willing to be completely and utterly decreased in his life if it would bring glory to God. Now think about that. Many of us, we say God meant it for good, but it's still not fair. He let me rot in prison. He let me be sold into slavery. He separated me from my family. But Joseph, as soon as, don't miss this, as soon as he recognized that it was good for God, it was good for him. Everything I went through, that's all right, because it was in God's plan. Listen, let me ask you today, uh, in your life, are you willing to be decreased in your life so that God might be increased? Joseph took his own well-being out of the picture. He did not sugarcoat what his brothers did. It was awful what they did. But he was able to look past what they did because he said, my primary goal is not my own ease and my own comfort, but the glory of God. Boy, that's deep, isn't it? I mean, he was ready to put aside all of his own problems if it would bring glory to God. Listen, friend, today, if you could step out of yourself if you could stop making sure that everyone is doing you right, if you can shift your focus from self to him, how it would change your life. That's how Joseph was able to forgive. Joseph discharged their evil. He left it in God's hands. You'd think with all the abuse that Joseph suffered for doing right, he would have ditched his faith, but he didn't. In his deathbed, at the very end, he still had faith. I still believe God. God said he's going to do this, this, and this. I believe he will. So much so, I want you to keep my bones. Don't bury me. Keep my bones. And when God does what he says, you carry my bones up with you and bury me in the promised land. What faith. Absolutely and 100% believed God. We have no reason to reject our faith because circumstances might oppose us. True faith will not wilt under the heat of difficult times. It'll stay strong. Let me ask you today, my friend, how is your faith? How is your faith this morning? Is it strong or could it use a little uh, increase? Let's ask the Lord to help us today. Heavenly.